Monmouth Park is back in action, and it's a meet we are super excited about. That's why we're doing this Monmouth preview show, sponsored by BetMakers. For the first time in over a century, fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers will be available on track at Monmouth, and soon it's going to be available throughout the state. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You'll be hearing a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities across the In The Money Media Network and even a little bit later in this show. special edition of the in the money players podcast this is our monmouth meet preview show brought to you by betmakers we're going to be hearing more about betmakers later in the show with the return of fixed odds betting to the usa been more than a hundred years we'll get to that a little bit later we're going to kick on the show with the man who we usually have on to talk all things monmouth he is from monmouth park brian skirka brian how are things i'm doing great pete how are you Things are good. We're happy you guys are back and underway. Let's start off by giving just an overview of the meet. You're starting off running Saturdays and Sundays in May. Then come early June, you're going to be adding Fridays into the mix. I love those Fridays. I think you're doing 2 p.m. post on Fridays. And, of course, uh, pretty early on, the Pick Your Prize contest, one of the most popular all year. You'll have players coming in from all over the country Give us sort of an update on Pick Your Prize and where we stand with that and let us know what else we have to look forward to as the meet goes on. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, firstly, we're happy to be back uh, in the Money uh, Players Podcast. So thanks for having us. But it's a it's it's really an exciting meet uh, other than the first two days of weather, which was very less than exciting. Actually, the first one day we didn't even run on Saturday because it was such bad weather here. But other than the, the weather, um, we're super, super excited for the year. You know, we're, we're coming off of COVID, obviously. And, and this year, basically everything that was a negative the past two or three years is, is back as a positive. Uh, the crop rule is, is back to, you know, more of the national standard after obviously having not being able to use the crop at all last year. So we're, uh, we're very happy about that. Uh, every single stall on the backside is allocated to all 1500. Um, they're all not here, you know, currently, you know, Tampa just closed and Oakland just closed. So we're still waiting to get some horses here, but every single stall is allocated. So we're really excited for, um, you know, the best racing we've had in a very, very long time. Uh, for those of you that are coming on site, you know, coolers are back in the picnic area. Those were, were gone during COVID times, but those are back. All of our festivals and events are back. So it's really an exciting time, especially to be the, the head of marketing, to be able to say this is back and this is good and this is good and this is good as opposed to the last three or you know probably three years where it was, nope, you can't do that and you can't do that and you can't do that. So we're, you know, as long as the sun, you know, eventually comes out, it's still cloudy and cold here. So, you know, sooner or later, I would assume that summer is going to come and the weather is going to turn in our favor. But other than that, we are super, super excited for uh, a really big meet. You know, we'll have more horses here than we've ever had. Um, and, and all of the, the legislature, you know, fixed odds, obviously, as you mentioned, we have a brand new video board also courtesy of, of vet makers. So it's, 
yeah, I don't, I don't even want to guess how long it is, but it's a very, very large video board. So there's there's a ton of things both on site and and things we'll see in Simo World that are really in our favor this year, and we're excited about it. And as you mentioned, Pick Your Prize is one of those. That's I guess three and a half weeks away now on June 4th. So we're hopeful to have uh, a lot of people on site. You know, it, before the COVID, before COVID, it was on site only, and then obviously during COVID, it was. It was online only, so now we're back to a hybrid. You know, I'm hoping to have a, a higher percentage of people on site than, um, you know, than off than off site. It's just a lot better, I think, for everybody when everyone's in one room and the camaraderie and the the atmosphere is just a little bit better. So as of right now, we're probably at about 100 entries as we speak today. And I think it's probably 75% on site, 25%. Uh, online, you could play. Uh, if you do play online, it's through ExpressBet and TVG only. So it, it's trending in the, the direction that I want it to. The, the vast majority of people will be here. We are going to do another contest the next day, which is on-site only. So that's kind of an incentive to to drive people on-site. Um, we'll pick your prize June Saturday, June 4th, and then we'll have another NHC qualifier on Sunday, June 5th. So kind of a a two for one if you're going to be traveling here. So hopefully we see a lot of people. Uh, face-to-face in person, including yourself. Yes. And uh, and we'll have a, a really exciting meet again, given uh, that the weather gods uh, let, let us. I'm, I'm excited. And the Pick Your Prize contest, for those that don't know, a couple of special things I want to highlight about it. Uh, it's it's sort of a sweet in-the-middle price point with a, with a $2,000 buy-in. But this prize pool, it's robust, and the structure is pretty flat. It's about the only contest I know of where you can run – I mean, realistically, t- tell me if I'm exaggerating. Realistically, you can run 20th and have a good chance at an NHC seat. So if you are somebody who wants to take that trip to Vegas, I honestly think it's it's about the best opportunity, the way the financial terms work, to qualify for the NHC all year. And I think that's why people do roll in from around the country for this one. Is that, is that all yeah. accurate? It, it it's actually you know I, I believe last year was 27th place 26th or 27th was the That's spot amazing. where the, the the person got their NHC seat so we we definitely you know that there are contests that have higher cash prizes um, ours are are nothing to sneeze at I think first first place cash prize you get you know 20 grand somewhere in there depending on how many how many players are in the contest but you know there are contests with higher cash prizes there are contests that give away more BCBC seats uh, we give away four or five depending on the number of players in the contest so again it's it's nothing to sneeze at in terms of cash and BCBC but but we really have set this one up to be as you said the the what we consider the number one NHC qualifying contest in the country where you could finish in 26th 27th place and uh, be heading out to the NHC which is uh you know, but I, I say it every year that the first time that I went out to the NHC, whenever that was, six or seven years ago, I kind of just stood in that big room of everyone playing together and said, wow, this is uh, really something that I need to send as many people as possible to. So that's kind of one of the very, very beginning uh, brainstorm sessions where this contest uh, came to be. Very cool. Um, in terms of being able to qualify for Pick Your Prize, are there are there ways to do that online? Yep, so Horse Tourneys has been running feeders for uh, a long time, and those will run right up until pretty much the, the week of the event. Um, because of the nature of the event, where all the prizes are, are um, set ahead of time, and we, we actually have a physical prize board where you make your, your selections from, we do cut off registration, I believe it's the Wednesday before, um, just to give me a couple of days to finalize the pricing and, and actually get that board printed. So there is no day of sign-up like most of our contests. You have to be pre-registered. 
Um, you can do that by, by contacting me. And I believe, like I said, I believe Wednesday is the, the last day for feeders on Express Bet. But definitely, you know, it's the weekend before at the absolute minimum. And I, I think Wednesday is their last one. We'll make sure to highlight that. We're going to have coverage of Monmouth all month long, um, combination of sponsorship from Monmouth Park and from Betmakers, able to stitch the two together. And I think come up with a, with a pretty comprehensive plan to follow this meet that people know is one of my favorites. You know, when I want a day just to be a racing fan it's honestly one of my favorite things to do i've talked many times about taking that boat ride down from new york and then you got so many fun dining options uh in that area whether you want to go the pizza route or the seafood route just cool places to hang out with good vibes lots of good italian down there as well and then you know throw in uh throw in this couple cool new uh, breweries in that area too there's a lot of fun to be had planning a weekend to Monmouth, and the June 4th weekend is one to target, but it's certainly not the only one. A couple other big days I want to talk about before I let you get out of here, Brian. I love what you're doing this year with this um, this Haskell prep day. Tell us what that is and when that is, and then, of course, we'll move on to uh, the Haskell itself. Sure. So, yeah, we've, we've never done this before, so this is kind of in light of, um, you know, I guess it's kind of a trend in horse racing now to – bundle you know stakes on on big days which i i know you know some people some people love some people don't i i'm personally a fan of it i i love the days where you can get you know that all stakes pick four pick five when it's just you know boom 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 all all you know graded stakes so we're, we're trying that with our haskell preview day as you said you know every year before this year um you know each of the haskell prep races is kind of on a different weekend so one saturday would be you know the set the um, you know the Pegasus, which is a prep for the Haskell, and then the next week would be the Mammoth Cup, which is a prep for you know one of the other Haskell races, and so on and so forth. And this year we said let's bundle them all together. Um, we we I think we picked a great time for it, so it's June 18th. It's the day before Father's Day. It's the Saturday after the Belmont. So there's a couple of weeks there between the Belmont Stakes, and then when not, when Belmont has their other big day for Stars and Stripes, and then obviously Saratoga Stars. There's a couple of weeks there where there's not really much going on nationally. Um, and this Saturday is one of those dates. So that there really is, like I said, nothing huge on the, on the graded stakes schedule around the country. So we're really hoping that this day is, is a Mammoth Park day. We'll have four stakes races that day, including the Pegasus, all prepping towards stakes on Haskell Day. And uh, that, that's the one that I kind, of, I kind of have circled on my calendar to be a really, really big day for us. And I think it's going to be very well received. Definitely a good one to target. I did Father's Day last year at Monmouth for one of those fun days that I was talking about. This year for that one, I'll be at Ascot, but I'll be paying attention from afar from the bar at Ascot after the races, watching those prep races. And we'll have that covered wall to wall on uh, the In the Money Media Network. Tell us about uh, this year's Haskell Day. When is it any early indications of horses that might be thinking about coming this way? I, I actually have seen the Haskell mentioned in a couple uh, articles on, on uh, DRF.com, and they're all you know extremely interesting horses. So it's it's Saturday, June 23rd, first of all. July, remember, right? We've, we've had it, sorry, yes, July. Yes, uh, Saturday, July 23rd. Um, and remember, it is on a Saturday. We, it always used to be a, a Sunday. I think we've had it on Saturday now for maybe three, four, or five years, but it, it used to be a Sunday back in the day. Uh, but now it's Saturday, July 23rd. Uh, I think we have six stakes races that day. Five of them are graded. Obviously, the Haskell is the biggest of them. The UN is now that day as well. So we have two uh, grade one races. 
and, and just in the last week, you know, leading up the Derby, and then and then yesterday I saw another one. I, I've seen three big-time horses mentioned for the Haskell so far. Uh, Corniche, there was an article about him, and the same article that said he was being switched from Baffert to Fletcher. They mentioned that the Haskell was a, a race they had targeted for him. Just yesterday I saw uh, Chad Brown said that Jack Christopher is being pointed to the Haskell. And then a little bit after the Derby, I saw Brad Cox said that Cyber Knight is being pointed to the Haskell as well. So those are just three. You know, we're still obviously months and months away. They haven't even run the Preakness yet. But those are still three, you know, really, really big name horses that are already confirmed being pointed to the Haskell. I would think that depending on how the Triple Crown series goes, uh, Epicenter would be a horse that if he really is, um, you know, pointing towards a, a championship campaign, an Eclipse Award. You know, you have to make a stop at the Haskell if you're, you know, if you want to be three-year-old champion. That's the Haskell is a race we we brand as where champions prove their greatness. So if you want to, if you want to be a champion, you have to make a stop here at the Jersey Shore. So just <laughs> just based on the, those three horses that I, I rattled off, and you know, anyone else in the pipeline, it looks like uh, looks like the Haskell is going to be a good one this year. That's exciting. That's very good to know. I know that there'll be plenty of people making the trip down from. Saratoga, where I'll be that day. I may be among their number. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if I can arrange that. One of the things I want to highlight for the Mammoth meet, and I know it's early, but you know it's a meet preview. I love this Monday in August plan that we've talked about. I love the idea of doing this. I don't know if it's official yet. I may be talking out of school, but the potential of a cross wager with uh, with Colonial as well and. Little rumor, and if you're interested in this idea, reach out to me now because we, we can use maybe a little bit of a push to, 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 so I can get this arranged. Definitely thinking about doing a Monday bus ride down from Saratoga to enjoy some of those races at Monmouth on a Monday reminds me of usually when I talk about the old days, I say the bad old days, like you know things before simulcasting and whatnot, but it reminds me of the good old days of taking the trip down from Saratoga it would have been on a Tuesday because Saratoga ran six days then to go to, you know, Great Barrington. Well, we could do a lot better, no offense to our friends in Massachusetts, than Great Barrington Fair. We can go down to Monmouth and, and catch some of their action potentially on Mondays in August. If you're a listener interested in that, reach out to me at Looms Boldly on Twitter or in themoneypodcast.com through the contact page. But tell me what you can about the plans for those uh, Mondays in August. Yeah, we definitely are. Um, we've reached out to Colonial, so we are going to do a pick four on those Mondays. I think there's five Mondays in August this year, so it'll be two races from Mama, two races, two races from Colonial. I think the plan is that under perfect scenario, knock on wood, it might be an all turf pick four. Um, you know, right. obviously two from here, two two from there. You know, what weather dependent or just how the the races shape up. You know, we 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 do have a. We're not going to brand it as an all turf pick four. We're going to give us an out in case you need to throw a dirt race in there. But I think whenever possible, we're going to try to do all turf. Um, but I, I think just think it's a cool idea. You know, those those cross country pick fours and pick fives have, have seemed to be um, pretty popular. Um, you know, Colonial. You know, obviously runs on. I think they run Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So they're. You know, one of the top tracks running early in the week, and, and we like to think that we will be them as well. We're just experimenting with Mondays the way that the last couple of years have gone, and our racing is getting better and better and better. We're generating more and more ter- uh, more and more purse money, and uh, the horsemen want you know more more racing dates. So it kind of came up to management this year, and, and we said, yeah, well, we run Friday, Saturday, Sunday all summer as it is, so do we want to throw in some Thursdays, or do we want to take a shot and throw in some Mondays and try to be a, a bigger fish? Uh, on a on a Monday, so we're going to give Mondays a shot. 
And like we said, anyone uh, up at Saratoga, if you're looking for something to do, head down our way. Um, we will start at 2 p.m. on Mondays. So uh, that even might give you a little bit of a uh, – you can even leave a little later on if you're going to come down from Saratoga. Uh, but 2 p.m. post on Mondays, we'll probably run eight or nine races. And, again, it's just kind of an experiment to see uh, – See, see what works, what doesn't. We're, we're very big on that here at Monmouth of not just doing the same thing over and over again, and we're certainly not afraid to say, hey, something didn't work, we're going to try it. If it didn't work, we'll try something else, and if it did work, we'll, we'll embrace it and try to make it bigger and better. So Mondays is in August is what we're going to try this year, and we're very happy to be working with Colonial to hopefully come up with a, uh, the featured bet on Monday to be a uh, cross. Uh, we're calling it the Mid-Atlantic Monday Pick 4, if I have Love that right. That. So Love between, that. Between us and uh, Colonial, hopefully it'll be a good bet. I'm guessing that was one of yours. You're very good with these catchy titles. I I, I was. I, 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 lo- I love if it if it if it rhymes or if it has alliteration. <laughs> it's usually me. Those are my two go <laughs> I love the. Uh, I was spitballing some copy for for betmakers that folks will have heard elsewhere in the show, and your line was so much better than mine. That the, uh, <laughs> the I can't remember what I said. Mine was very prosaic, but you, yours yours was very good. The price you bet is the price you get. Very very good stuff. Speaking of wagers to highlight, I know we're going to be doing plenty on the win early pick five this year. Any other pools in particular you want to highlight? No, I think I think that's the one. Um, you know, especially on weekends when we start at twelve fifteen. You know, that's the nation's first pick five. Uh, I don't believe any track runs earlier than us. So, um, you know, fifteen percent takeout, fifty cent bet. Again, your your first chance in the country to really hit a pick five. Um, as I said, every stall here at Monmouth Park will be filled once we get into the the heart of the meet. So hopefully, every race will be big fields and and pretty hearty payouts in those. Uh, those early bets, the uh, the catchy slogan for that bet is "Win early, win often." <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, hopefully uh, that gives players you know an opportunity to pad some bankroll for the rest of the day. Um, you know, hopefully the rest of the day is here at Monmouth. But even if you uh, leave us and go to some other tracks over the course of the day, hopefully our our win early pick five gives you an opportunity to make some money. And then I know you're you're talking to Dallas later, but six odds really took off. On opening day, he'll 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 be able to say for sure. But I'm pretty sure that every every race we ran on Sunday, the winner paid more in fixed odds than it did in coach. So if you're going to be uh, on site, that's definitely something that I would uh, keep an eye on. I love the idea of getting involved in that the the pick five, and then you can use the fixed odds to maximize your opinions or hedge as needed. I, I think that. This idea that it's one or the other with this stuff is just completely backwards. I think you can use them together as a punter and really increase your opportunity to win and and to bet more efficiently. I'm excited about it. We will have Dallas for that later in the show. But for now, Brian, I'll let you get on with your day. I think we did what we had to do and I really appreciate you. And, you know, we'll have you on to do some handicapping as the meet goes on. Sounds good, Pete. Hope you make it down to a Monmouth Park a few times, and uh, let me know anything you guys ever need. We'll take care of for you. Cheers, my friend. Next up in the show, very happy to welcome back to the airwaves two guests who will be familiar if you listen to our Gulfstream Park Players podcast. Uh, the first one I'm going to mention, uh, he was the co-host of that show, gave out all kinds of winners, but in truth, he likes betting Monmouth more than he likes betting Gulfstream. He's Darren DeLuch around here. We call him Double D. Double, how are things? morning pistol pete how are you this morning <laughs> oh i can't shake the pistol thing if i'm going to bring you back on the airwaves i thought i thought i was done with that till december the next guest 
He uh, was one of the sponsors of the Gulfstream show. We had a great interview that we got a lot of positive feedback on. Really curious to hear his thoughts about Monmouth as well. Trainer Kelly Breen. Kelly, what's going on, man? Everything's good. How are you? Things are great. And we're going to start with you, Kelly, about what you like about running horses at Monmouth Park, a place you've had some uh, really nice success over the years. You know, I, I grew up close to it. It's a nice track, family environment. Uh, I'm happy to have the whips, you know, certain things back. We have the uh, picnic area is going to be filled again with people bringing their own uh, food. And, you know, it's, it's like the old Monmouth Park again. It's great to be back. Uh, that's a great point about both those things. I think horse players are going to feel a lot better about having those whip rules that are in line with what they are familiar with, no doubt about that. And yeah, during COVID, it was very sad going there and seeing that unused picnic area. You know, there were people, but it wasn't the same vibe as it had been in past years with people able to bring things in. Let's talk about it from a horseman and a horse player perspective. What's different, Kelly, about handicapping at Monmouth Park? What are any unique elements that pop to your mind that make it special that horse players need to know about? You know, when I'm looking to claim and bring horses to Monmouth Park, I think one thing that sticks out in my mind is speed. Not many closers at Monmouth Park. It's a speed-biased track. This is just my opinion, uh, but to have horses and you're looking to bring horses to Monmouth Park, you know, we also have horses at Belmont, and if you have a horse that doesn't have that kind of speed, might be, you know, maybe not the same class of Monmouth Park compared to Belmont Park, but you need to have speed at Monmouth Park, you know, tactical speed at worst. Does that go for turf racing as well, in your opinion, or are you speaking exclusively about the dirt? No, that was mostly the dirt, but the other part of turf racing and comparing our turf to other places, it does also trend to be a little biased for speed. It's known as a, a hard track. Our grass isn't nearly as long as Belmont or uh, Kentucky. You know, it, it, it kind of might help towards the speed horse, but maybe the turf is more fair for a horse that can close, where you definitely can close on the grass. But it is also kind of put on the, the fast times, fast pace, uh, you know, good turf horse. A little kinder to speed is what I'm hearing, but not necessarily something that rises to the level of a bias. Does that sound about right? Correct. Let's talk about horses that perform well over the Monmouth turf course. Are there any particular tracks where you give shippers a little bit more of an edge, either because of class or because of a similarity with that uh, that more shortcut turf? Well, when I'm looking at it, for sure these guys that are coming in from either Keeneland or shipping in from Churchill, their turf course, you know, I'm not a turf course specialist, but to see it and to walk on it, uh, it's deep. It's a little bit different turf course, especially compared to, you know, Florida, where they almost have like a Bermuda style. Yep. It doesn't get to be that long. Um, Monmouth Park, generally they, they keep it, uh, you know, we're also close to the ocean. 
so you can't have it too, too long. Um, so I think that's what helps keeping it, you know, fast times. Would you give horses coming in from the Florida circuit, I mean, assuming they class up, would you give horses from the Florida circuit a little bit of an advantage in that regard? Um, not necessarily. I think that if they're coming off the Gulf Stream and it's hard, hard, probably I would put Gulfstream as one of the hardest turf courses around and Monmouth Park not as uh, hard and, and maybe just a, a little bit slower than what a Kentucky track would be. Um, so I, I look more for the Kentucky people for their horses to flourish over the turf as compared to Gulfstream. That's interesting. And how do you compare the Kentucky shippers into Monmouth to the horses coming from from Aqueduct and Belmont? Um, you know, it all depends on who it is, you know, where they're, they're coming from. You have your uh, turf specialist with uh, Chad and, and Christophe Lamont. Um, you have some nice turf horses that are with Todd. You know, those horses that are coming in just in, in the amount of the caliber of, of where they're running, you got to give them a little bit of a, an edge. I'm assuming that because Monmouth sounds very particular, it's a place where form over the Monmouth course matters. Is it horse-for-course course business? Is that particularly important at Monmouth on, on both surfaces? Yeah, you know, I, I look at it. I look at it in the form, uh, and it's not just Monmouth Park, but just handicapping anywhere that you go. There's definitely horses for courses. Uh, Mammoth Turf Courses. I have a horse that that seems to really like Mammoth Turf Course. Is a, a turf sprinter, like what I see, and I couldn't wait to get him back here. And we ran him a couple times in the the Poly Track at Gulfstream, and I could just about put a line through those races because I know he's training so well, and just didn't like the Poly Track down there. And he's won, I guess. Each year for the last two years for me at Monmouth Park, and I can't wait for us to have Monmouth Park turf racing again so I can get him back on it. Remind us the name of that runner. Like what I see. That's a great name. Uh, We're going to bring Double D in here for a second to ask you a question or two about what's going on, but I'd be uh, remiss if I didn't talk to you about some of the specifics. You know, you're so good with the the young horses. There's plenty of... uh, Plenty of good races for young horses at Monmouth. Any particular runners we should be keeping an eye on for you? Not necessarily first up, but uh, to have success at the meet. Um, our babies are, you know, we actually 15, 20 minutes ago, we were just taking them to the starting gate. Uh, that's where they'll learn to excel. And, you know, we've, we slowly brought them up. And now once they get to the, the starting gate and popping out and learning the break, it is the, the point where you kind of separate the boys from the men. And we're just about at that process right now with about eight of our two-year-olds. So if we're not ready for the first one, or if the first one is going to be one of those horses that are precocious, um, I'll know in the next two to three weeks who kind of the, let the cream rise to the top. But so far, we haven't really stepped on the, the gas pedal to get the babies overly pumped up. So we're kind of uh, in that they're 
75% ready. They're not 100% ready. So I haven't, they haven't separated themselves yet for me. I completely respect you punting on that question, but you know what it means. I'm going to have to bother you in three weeks or, or a month, and I'll ask you that same question again if you don't mind. You got it. Home base for me and Kelly, you know, met, I guess, oof, when I was like 19. So that that's uh, a minute ago. 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, I'm a little younger now. That's where me and Kelly started before we had, you know, kids and uh, wives and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, we we grew up there together. So, you know, I do have some horses with him. Hopefully, I'm going to get him some more. And Kelly's doing a great job. You know, he's gonna he's gonna come up with another two year old. I guarantee it. I don't know who it is. Cause he didn't tell me yet, but I'm sure he'll come up with something. So let's hope he's you know one of the top trainers there. If he's not leading trainer, second, third, but He'll be he'll be in the mix, I'm sure. You know, the one thing, if, if I had to say, I'm talking about horses. Uh, uh, not to interrupt you, Darren, but with some of the different claiming rules, and I think I'm coming in here a little short on some of the claiming horses. Where at Gulfstream we had to have, mm, I don't know if it's short to, just to say, a dozen horses claimed off of us. And we only claimed two or three that, uh, you know, I'll be hopefully happily in the claiming box at Monmouth Park to try and get more horses. I would think it's going to be a busy season at the at the claiming box just with the, the you know, the sort of national horse shortage and things like that. And, that. and that's certainly something you've proved to be very shrewd at over the years. We've talked about some of the things that might attract you to a runner in terms of why you'd pick them and, and, and claim them at Monmouth. Any other clues you might be able to give us of things you're looking for to help us understand the form of a runner when they turn up uh, first off the claim by Kelly Breen at Monmouth Park? You know, I, I think a lot, maybe more so now that I, I'm looking, is a little bit of pedigree as to if I were to get lucky enough and claim a nice horse, uh, if they step up, um, you know, I've, I've gotten lucky. Darren and I had a, a partner that claimed an intimistia filly, and she won a stakes race, you know, and, and more than doubled her, her uh, what she was, her, her value. Um, so you, that's the backbone is the breeding. The other part of looking is you have pace, how, how uh, precocious they might be for a mammoth park. You know, to be kind of into the race and, and uh, I don't want to keep on saying the word speed, but speed biased. But we're, uh, that's just something that we, I look at. I'm not looking to claim a closer, a dead closer, and bring him to Monmouth Park. And then when they keep on finishing third and fourth, shrugging my shoulders saying, I, I, I don't know why he's not winning. So. Last one for you, Kelly, and we'll let you go. Favorite places to eat in and around Monmouth Park? Well, my favorite of all time is Angelica's. If you can get in there, I know uh, if you don't know Ray, um, you might be shit out of luck. But uh, <laughs> that, that to me is, is literally my all-time, one of my favorite restaurants. Uh, I don't get to, to go there all too often, so it's that much of a treat for me. You know, it's uh, a little bit of a, it's in Seabright. I kind of live the other direction. Uh, but that is my all-time favorite 
couldn't get much better than that. Love it. Kelly, we'll let you get on with your day. Really appreciate your help, and we'll be calling on you in a few weeks, as promised. Okay, you got it. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. All right, we'll let Kelly get on with his day, but Double D is still here. Great uh, opportunity to get to chat with him about uh, some of the things that make handicapping Monmouth Park unique. What do you have to add in terms of factors that you look for double? Um, and, and you can take this in the direction of connections who excel or stuff along the lines of what Kelly was talking about. But just curious uh, what you think about handicapping Monmouth in general. Um, Kelly said what he, exactly what I'm going to say. Speed's very dominant on Monmouth Park. I mean, I lived there 10 years of my life. I've, you know... Uh, been real lucky there as far as when I was a stable agent, manager, whatever the word. I mean, had leading owner titles, claimed a lot of horses, won a lot of races. So to me, Monmouth Park, you got to have horses that are close to the pace. If you're, if you're thinking you're going to come from uh, way in the back, it ain't going to work. Um, if you, you could look it up statistically, you have to be within five, six months at the top of the stretch at Monmouth Park, especially on the dirt. The turf might be a little different. You have to be close to the pace. You know, the, the speed there is very, very dominant. It's just that's the way it's been for a long time. I don't know why, but I guess it's, you know, they run very fast fractions there. On the dirt, you start shaking your head, 21-44, going short, and the horse keeps going. You're like, what the heck? But that's what dominates. Turf is a little different. You might be able to close a little bit. Uh, but like Kelly said, the turf course is totally different there than the other places. But, you know, I'm, I'm more of a speed guy at Monmouth. You know, I like long and short. I'm not so much of a turf handicapper. I'm more of a dirt guy. I like, I like, I've always told you this on many shows, I want my horses in the race. I don't like Silky Sullivan, meaning I don't want a horse coming from uh, Ebbets Field, left field, whatever you want to we, we call it. Right we may I change like my... that reference, Double. We may change that reference from the Silky Sullivan to the uh... – to, <laughs> to the rich strike after uh, after what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, rich Yeah, and, you know, speaking about rich strike, I don't know the connections, but I'll tell you one thing. That jockey, Sonny Leon, that had to be one of the greatest rides in the derby I think I've ever seen. Considering the guy's a no-name rider, nobody really knows him from Mahogian Valley, from the 21-hole, gets to the rail, splits forces, comes up the rail, when you got to give the guy credit. I, I don't know who the guy is, but... I'm going to say on the podcast, congratulations, buddy. You did some job. It was exciting. I mean, I say exciting. It's exciting to rewatch that ride. It wasn't exciting at the time. I I, I, I was too busy thinking about all the tickets I was ripping up. <laughs> um, as far as Monmouth goes, you know, I know now they have, um, I'm sure you were going to bring it up, but I, I, somebody brought it to my attention. I, and I think Mr. Dries, when I spoke to him last year, they have fixed odds now for Monmouth only at the moment. That's a big advantage. I mean, if you pay attention and you see a horse in the morning you think is going to be an overwhelming favorite and you're getting a bigger price, that's another bet I think is going to really interest people to understand how to do that. So maybe, you know, some shows you're going to bring that up, or maybe today. That's a very interesting for a guy like me. I like I like that. Yeah, we're going to talk about that for sure. And it really comes into play with the, the horses that we called on the Gulfstream show, the lollipops, those horses that, you know, obviously in this game – you can't really separate a selection from the price that that horse is on the board. That's a road to ruin. But, but we talk about these horses that we think can't lose when you can lock in 
two to one on a horse that's going to be four to five, as we saw on opening Sunday at Monmouth Park. I mean, that's just a massive advantage to betters, especially betters who tend to be a little bit more selection-oriented. It can be very hard to get off a horse you think can't lose, but we've all done it where we take that horse even when they're bet on the tote below what really, if we were being objective, their true odds were. But with fixed odds, you can lock in at that price, and you know the the the, the great Brian Skirko. Hopefully, we'll hear from him elsewhere in the show. But his line: "The odds you bet are the odds you get." It's absolutely game changing. I want you to talk about some of the other connections double that you've got your eyes on at this meet. Obviously, Kelly Breen is a trainer to follow. Who are some of the other trainers that you give extra credit to at Monmouth? Uh, specifically, people you think are going to have a big meet in 2022. Um, I mean, just going there every year for the, how many years I've been there. I'll tell you, in, all right, in the claiming world, you will have uh, you will guy have a guy that's at Mammoth and goes to Tampa named Jose Delgado. He's pretty good with the claimers, the cheaper ones. Um, you also have another guy coming in, I guess, from uh, Fairgrounds, the Louisiana circuit, named Jose Camayo. He, he has a mixture of babies, claimers, allowances. He's another guy. Um, you know, obviously the two powerhouses would be Chad and Todd. Now, when you say that, oh, Chad and Todd, but, you know, they're going in with their third stringers. Their third stringers there are actually better than the horses at Mammoth on the turf and the dirt in the allowance races. You know, those are two. So the, the Kelly Breen, you know, like he said, he might not be as strong as he was, but he's always going to be a palace. Those five, and then maybe you have a, like a couple other people, maybe, you know, I don't want to miss anybody, but I'm just doing this quick. Uh, this guy like Louis Cabrahal has been there a long time. He does a really good job over there. Um, oh, another guy named, uh, I think he had a real good meet named uh, Sweeney. He does a pretty good job, so he's going to win a lot of races. Those are about the six guys. Maybe I'm missing somebody. And if I am, I'm sorry if they're listening and I didn't bring their name up. But those are the guys that I remember that are going to probably do the best. Like I said, I could have missed somebody in the mix. Oh, you might have, I know, there's another guy. You might have uh, the guy coming in from Maryland. Um, He's like the leading trainer. What is it, Claudio Gonzalez? He's another guy that's a powerhouse in Maryland. I know Mamets will probably do really well. Uh, you know, then you have all them Jersey guys of the year. They're only for the Jersey meet. You know, they they just you know been there like you know they're like furniture. They they just haven't moved. They just stay there. Um, that's about the guys. As far as if I'm allowed to say jockey wise, I mean. You know, Paco's going to win the meet by a mile. It's not even going to be a contest. I mean, no, no disrespect, but he's just in a league of his own there. But I'm going to tell you a rider that I don't know, Pistol, if you paid attention to Oakland. You're going to have a kid named Isaac Castillo coming in. And he was at Tampa last year, was second leading right at Monmouth. Um, he's handled by Dylan Fazio. I know him since he's a little kid, a real little kid. This kid has done a job with this guy, Isaac Castillo, and Oakland Park, like I've never seen. I got to give him an A-plus. And he's a rider that I want everybody to watch. He's really improved. He's rode for the top outfits in Oakland. Now he's going back to Monmouth. You're going to see a he, – he's going to be a force to, to deal with also. And then another guy coming from New York that my friend just got, Jorge Vargas Jr. He's handled by Scott Silva, assisted by John Schermetta. He's another guy. It's going to have some business in the summertime. A lot of outfits coming in and out of New York and Maryland that Scotty and John have. So those are the three guys I want the people to watch. There's other riders, of course, but those are the three I'd keep my eye on for Mamas. 
Great stuff, Double. Appreciate you popping on the show today, giving some of your insights about Monmouth Park. And I have a feeling we'll have you back on before too long to do a little bit of capping as well. Anytime you need me, I'm always available. If I can help, you know I'm there for you, Pete. So Pistol Pete, I always call you that. Thank you for helping me out. Hopefully I mean people understand a little more about the betting and the fixed odds and the jockeys, trainers. You guys all have a good weekend. I hope you make a lot of money. Next up on the show, happy to welcome back to the In the Money Airwaves, a voice you're going to be hearing a lot of. He is from the Betmakers team and part of this group bringing fixed odds racing to the U.S. Not just that, bringing a giant video screen that we'll talk about for a minute as well that Brian Skirka referenced earlier in the show to Monmouth Park. He is Dallas Baker. Dallas, how are things? Peter, good morning and good morning, listeners. I want to start with just a totally general question because this is something I've been meaning to ask you, and now is as good of a time as any. At some point, we'll do a whole show on your background because I think um, listeners will find it very, very interesting. But you've been on both sides of the counter, as it were, working, helping to set fixed odds prices for bookmakers. You've also worked extensively on the, on the, the punting side of things. Which side do you like better and why? Um, like <laughs> it's it's always challenging, Peter. Either, either side of it. I, look, I think. I mean, I, I've got to say that what we're doing now, I thoroughly enjoy because it's probably a bit more, bit more of a mix of a corporate and just uh, rolling the sleeves up to be uh, have a bit of fun at the moment whilst we start it all. So it's uh, this part of it's probably been a, a just a, such a thoroughly enjoy well uh, a, a challenging journey, but obviously a thoroughly uh, thoroughly enjoyable journey as well too as we. Uh, you know, as you, as you mentioned, creating history in the US has got a has got a bit of a you know bit of a ring to it, doesn't it? So I suppose this part of it, but um, you know, each side's got its challenges. You know, you're looking at the form from from a different a different angle in some ways, but it's still the it's still the same um, same process as you go through. But I, I I think it's it's probably easier to win on this side of the fence than it is on the punting side of the fence. So it's I, just math, yeah, yeah. That's just math. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, yeah, it become it probably is a an easier battle. But uh, and you and you get you, you tend to have a lot more help when you're doing it on this side of the on the fence too. I'm I'm one part of a. a probably a hundred different parts that goes into it on this side. And I think when you're punting, you're one, you're one, one and one is one hole. So that makes it a bit easier as well too, that you're not just totally reliant on yourself. What do you miss about the punting side? Oh, I think it's just that general interact day-to-day interaction that you get from being on a race course, um, uh, the banter, the back and forth and all of that. I, I think probably there's a lot of the same things that an athlete misses when they're not, not long, no longer playing football or whatever it is, it's that that locker room um, camaraderie and whatever. And even though that when you're in the in the middle of a betting ring, it's it's you versus the bookmakers or you versus the other punters to some extent as well too. Um, it's that it's that fun and frivolity and all the other BS that goes with it that makes it uh, for an, in, an entertaining day. So I suppose just being part of that community is what. What what you miss? What's missed the most? And then also, too, obviously, there's not much bigger thrills in life than uh, backing a winner, or, or like you know, firming up an opinion and all the work that you go into it, and then obviously putting your money down and having the uh, having the financial satisfaction of backing that winner. It's a it's a hard it's a experience hard to replicate, and uh, all of those things go into into missing that world, which is a which is a great world. 
It's interesting. Everything you describe there, the thrill of being on a winner, the competition, the camaraderie, it's all stuff people tell me that they particularly like in the contest world, um, even if they are in the punting world. And I guess that's partially just the evolution of the modern game because the contest, and now maybe we'll head back a little bit to this in this, you know, I, I, I don't like to say post-COVID world because COVID is with us, but as as mm. pandemic moves to endemic and we just we learn to to live with this thing and, and go on with it we're going to have more on-site contests including the pick your prize that we spoke about with brian earlier in the show and it is a chance for people to to really get some of that uh, that juice the camaraderie the competition and the way you know the thrill of hitting a winner just hits differently in that environment i think that's fair to say oh absolutely i think um you know we are now we, the benefits of what we have in the modern society of being able to watch everything from every, every corner in the world on, on your lounge room obviously is a huge benefit and we've got access to racing that, you you know, when I was growing up, you, you only dreamt of having access to. But it has taken away from that on-course experience and it's, just, and it's, it's a, a similar thing with sporting events, you know. You don't, you don't get the same feel for it by watching it at, at home but it's still great to watch it at home. But yeah, it's, it is one of the um, one of the one of the things that is whether whether it's COVID or whether it's also just the extension of the um, watch at home society that we've become. Um, but yeah, it, um, getting there and getting amongst it and getting into it with other with fellow peers, it's uh, it's a totally different experience, and I think a better experience as well too. So much to unpack, so much to talk about. You mentioned the on-course experience. Right now, Monmouth on-course, the only place where the fixed odds wagering is happening. That's going to change and and change in short order. But let's start with how things went um, on on the first weekend. Was it uh, was it? I mean, obviously the weather didn't really cooperate. But what did what did you notice about the the first day? How how did it go? Well, as we spoke about, we were planning a soft launch. It was a, a softer soft launch with um uh, with those who you know who might be just picking up for the first time. Obviously, Monmouth was called off on Saturday due to awful weather. And really, the weather was only marginally better on Sunday as well, too. So the crowd stayed away. Well, we expected probably around about 30-odd thousand through the gates over the weekend. There was three-ish. But um, our aim this weekend, Peter, and as we said all along, was just to, to start striking bets, which we've done. Um, the take-up, the enthusiasm for it on the on the track was great. Um, you know, people were, people were asking a lot of questions. They were having, having, most importantly, having a bet and getting a feel for it. Obviously, it was something something very new for it, so it's still in the very early education, early educating pro- stages of the process, and that's what we're going to continue to work on over the next few weeks and months, and um, just keep building and building and building until it uh, until it gets to the level that we um we we highly anticipate it. So, as far as the first weekend went, with obviously great far greater reduced numbers than was anticipated going into it. We're very happy with how it started off, and um, you know there was, as as expected, a couple of little things that we need to tighten up behind the scenes with all the tech and um, and the processes and all of that. But you can't start something like this without expecting all of those. So, um, and as we've always said, it's you know it's going to be improved on week week by week by week and grown week by week by week. And um, that's uh, so. It, as far as all of those um, all of those goals done, uh, they they're, they're all boxes ticked off. And I think most importantly, we saw the um, the first the first data set of what the difference it can make to the punter. I mean, we had many races there where the the the, uh, the closing price on the fixed odds 
was probably double the price of what the tote was. Now, there's going to be times the tote price is better than the fixed odds, and that's great because that's giving the punters or the customers an option now of getting a far better return for their dollar, whether it's on the tote or whether it's with fixed odds. I noticed that. There was one horse in particular that I think ended up going off at four to five on the yeah. on the tote where you could lock in that two to one price. I mean, that's the kind of difference that, that will really make a, make, a, make a huge dent in a good way in, in your bankroll. Uh, I'm using the opposite term, but you know what I mean. It'll create a bulge in your bankroll. <laughs> exactly maybe, right. maybe it makes a dent in, on, on your side of things. What, what were the do – does any horse stand out to you where there was like a radical – unexpected odds movement or, or did you feel pretty good about it? Yeah, there was it? one Maru during the day that we, um, you know, that we, we, we uh, to put our prices together, we uh, grabbed sources from a lot of different areas. And uh, this was a horse that every one of those price sources may have had around about the $15 to $21 mark, which is roughly, you know, for, as, we've, as we've educated before, 14 to 1 to 20 to 1. Um, and we held a lot, a, quite a good a bit of money on it. And I think it, it came down into about a, a five to one chance at, uh, at the death. I'd just have to double check those numbers, but um, it was it was very it surprisingly backed because all of the price sources we had had it marked in that in that range. But you know, obviously, what happens when you put the market up? The marketplace is the the number one form, formation of that market. So. From the marketplace, they said that this was a shorter price chance. Uh, fortunately for us, it was it was take it was a, it was a very dark looking result in our book. I can assure you, um, but uh, uh, thankfully it did, did really go a yard in the run, and uh, it was a pretty easy watch for that race for a, for a win for us. But no, it's a, I think a lot a lot of the people were mentioning how the odds do bounce around as well too, and you know you, I think that horse that you mentioned earlier on that started two to one. Uh, but I mean, it, throughout betting, it could have almost got five to two or even better for that. So that was probably its bottom price at the end. So, um, you know, like it's not, it's not just, you, you have a look at them in isolation of where they ended up, but in throughout betting, they were probably, um, you know, uh, quite a few fractions better off than, the, than what they were as well too. So that's where the game within the game is, uh, is, is, is kicked off at Monmouth at, uh, on Monmouth at Monmouth. At some point, and this isn't the time to do it, but at some point I want to do a whole conversation with you about how these prices are made, what the balance of man, in this case presumably you, versus machine, whatever algorithms you're using is, and and to learn more about how the market itself might change prices. I think people will be fascinated in my audience to learn all about that. But I think one basic thing I just want to hit again to you um, and to talk to the listeners about people who are going to be at mom at this meet is how the pricing looks because decimal odds are completely foreign to USA betters. We know what you call American odds, you know, minus 200, that kind of thing. We surely know the prices that we're familiar with on the USA tote board this is similar to both, but different. Mm. And I definitely think one of the things we want to do is get the word out there to people about how they work just to eliminate or minimize, let's say, confusion on the day. Yeah, it, it, look, it was, uh, it was always probably going to be the number one area of, uh, of confusion. Uh, we know that going into it, and it's uh, the number one area of education we probably need to work through just to get it. But what I'll say from the baseline, it is the most simplest way to um, to calculate odds. All that is, all it is, is basically it's 
it's what you what the return you are going to get for one dollar. So if it's a, if a horse is showing twenty one dollars and you have one dollar on it, then you collect twenty one dollars. So the the only difference to it is with uh, fractional odds, as you say, it's twenty to one. Then you, it's basically that twenty that twenty is how much you win. With decimal odds, it's how much you collect on the face value of it. So it's a pretty easy thing to do. And as I think you mentioned on the previous show we did, Pete is that all you do to, if you want to bring it back to the fractional odds, is just knock a dollar off every price. Is that is that a simple way that you would explain it? Yeah, and, and just to explain the logic of it, I think this part might help that I didn't think to say. It's You're, you're adding the stake, the $1, back in, okay? So if you want to convert it, you just take that stake dollar, that $1, out. So 21.0, 20 to 1, 11.0, 10 to 1, 6.0, 5 to 1, 2.0, even money. In every instance, you know, 1 to 1 slash even money. In every instance, you're just taking the dollar off. And I agree. I mean, I think what's interesting here is that for someone who's never, let's just say you have a theoretical person who's never gambled or never gambled on horse racing with fractional odds, I do think this is way easier to explain than the craziness. It's actually kind of nuts when you think about giving it as a $2 mutual and, and, yeah. and, and, you know, and adding the state and the way we do pricing normally, I mean, we only like it because it's what we've always done. It doesn't actually make sense. So I think to the outside punter, you know, it's, it's, it is the simplest way to do it and the simplest way to understand it. There's actually sort of ironically more of a learning curve for the more experienced better because we have, either fractional odds or American odds so embedded in our, in our minds. But I, but I think when you get, it, it'll take you about an afternoon to get familiar with it. Do you yeah. think that's fair? Absolutely, Pete. I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I always preface it by saying I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to fractional odds because they have the purpose is what I grew up with is what I prefer to it. And, you know, I would be, I, in most instances, I still refer back to fractional odds in my mind, in my discussions, but also, having been through the change and what we saw, and uh, for all of those points you made, uh, it is it is the easiest version to convey to the new audience. I know for all of us that are used to those fractional odds, it's a bit of a change, it's a nuisance, and there's a romanticism as well with the fractional odds as well too. But um, remembering one of the one of the main things of what this fixed odds movement is about is to be bringing people in from the sports books who may not have been experienced to, with, to, or exposed to racing as much as they should have. Um, and it's to try to try to get all of that, um, all of those like in New Jersey, the billion, a billion dollars a month now of sports betting money and grab, grab a chunk of that into racing. And to do that, you've got to make it as um, user-friendly as possible. And to try to explain to somebody what three to two means or what all that, all that is, is a lot is a lot more challenging than trying to explain to a current punter what two dollars fifty means as opposed to three to two. So yeah, I know we know that, it, and we knew bringing it in, it would uh, we would it would take a bit of time to explain. But um, we also knew that if we uh, we would be bringing it in a few months down the track. So if we if we hadn't already started with it, so better to get the uh, get the pain over and done with now, and hopefully get people <laughs> uh, people used to it. And uh, you know, I mean, it's. Um, when you just, when you start breaking it down and using using the ten dollar amounts is always easy too. So if a horse is two dollars thirty, you're having ten dollars on it. You're going to collect twenty three dollars, meaning you're winning thirteen dollars because you remove your stake, and it becomes it becomes a pretty simple mathematic process. 
Yeah, I think I don't think it's going to be a big lift going too big of a lift going forward. But it is, yeah, on those first days, it's something for people to pay attention to. Let's hear more about what BitMakers has planned for this Monmouth meet while we have this opportunity. Any particular days uh, folks want to be targeting uh, uh, to, to to come on down from a fixed odds perspective? What are you What are you excited about when you look forward to this Monmouth meet? Hopefully, having a meeting on Saturday and not being called off that'd be a good. <laughs> um, yeah, so just gradually building through it. We've got we've got our official launch day, which is BetMakers Day on June four. Um, coming forward, so this was this period here has been designed as being a, a soft launch period. Um, yeah, so just excited about working through the weeks, getting this up and running a little bit more on rails, and getting all the automated processes really, really humming, and all of that. So that's one of the main things. Looking forward to looking forward to bringing in the extra track content. Uh, obviously, we didn't really get a chance to test ourselves properly on Saturday, on the weekend on Sunday, I should say. So it's sort of almost like this weekend's almost our first weekend. So we'll just be Monmouth at Monmouth again this week, and then start bringing in the other tracks, um, and then start getting rolling it out to online. Um, we've got Monmouth bets not too far away. And Monmouth Bets is actually a good place for people to go to to pay to um, just to monitor it. If you obviously at the moment you can only bet uh, live at Monmouth on Monmouth, but you can also monitor monitor all the betting changes at home. So when you when it does come online, if you can't get to it, can't get to the track, you can get start educating yourself on how um, you know and get a feel for how the market moves around. So. Keep an eye on that, but yeah, looking that just looking forward to the whole rollout of it, Pete, and and then hopefully picking up some other other states along the way, and um, yeah, and watching this this baby grow from uh, from I, from little acorns, great oaks grow, and the little <laughs> acorn has been seeded, Pete. That's the way we're looking at it for sure. I wasn't planning on asking you about this, but you sort of teased it about other states coming online. I imagine you guys are paying attention in New York to this uh, Senate bill that that's uh, currently in committee, supposedly with the support on both sides that has the potential to um, bring fixed odds racing into, into New York should things go uh, a certain direction. I, I imagine that, that's a bill you're following with great interest? Absolutely. I mean, and uh, the, the team from Naira, led by David O'Rourke, and, uh, you know, obviously we've got a great relationship with Joe Longo and all the other team there. Um, they've been always supportive of, of fixed odds, publicly uh, publicly saying they want to be part of the program. But like any state, and like we found in New Jersey, it's, you've, got to, you've got to go through the regulatory process or the legislative process, whatever it may well be in a state. But um, like what we, we did here in New Jersey, they, they're trying to make sure everything is done right as well too. And that's the most important thing. And hopefully hopefully as it rolls out, every state, you know, dots the I's, crosses the T's properly to make sure that the racing industry is a benefit of it because uh, that's, that's, that's what the ultimate goal needs to be. So, yeah, I mean, looking forward for New York to be part of the program, whether it's launching there or being uh, being involved in New Jersey and around the countryside. But again, you know, through, obviously they need to go through the proper regulatory process to be there. Fingers crossed on that. Let's bring it back to Monmouth before we let you get out of here. I mentioned the big screen. Yeah. Uh, how's that looking? I, you know, I haven't had a chance to see it with my own eyes. I've only seen the, seen the renderings. Was that uh, looking the way you wanted it to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it was the first run and, you know, a couple of tweaks and all that. But uh, essentially, she's, 
yeah, it's, she's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, it's. I think it, it's hard not to uh, not to be blown away by it. No, we're very, very, very happy. The team, the team's pulled it together. It's, you know, I mean, we we had been working on it for quite a while, but you only get a very small window to be able to build something like that, and especially with all the challenges that have that are going on in the world in general and getting um getting componentry like that and sourcing it and getting it in it's a, a terrific job and uh um and you know great work from all the staff at monmouth that and uh the team from bsv video that have put it all together it's um it really looks uh it's an amazing addition and uh yeah well well worth a trip to monmouth to check it out because it's a it's a slightly different viewing experience to what it was last year i can assure you speaking of trips to monmouth you mentioned june 4th Betmakers Day, that's also the Pick Your Prize um, contest. Is there going to be anything planned, uh, any sort of extra informational sessions, meeting and greeting? Uh, Is this all still in the works? Just curious what we can tell listeners about uh, what they might have to look forward to from Betmakers for that weekend. I I am available to host a party. Yeah, lovely. Well, there'll be plenty of those, but we'll be doing a lot of that in the lead up to it as well, Peter. I mean, we'll be all on track. Uh, every every race day between now and then as well too. But yeah, a lot of pomp and ceremony, a lot of a lot of free stuff going on, a lot of free bets. I mean, the the purpose of the day is to get people there and to have a um for them to the, enjoy the experience of fixed odds betting. So we'll be doing everything that we possibly can to enhance that. And as you know, we're a pretty generous company, Peter. So there's going to be lots of freebies for the people who get on course, lots of uh, extra entertainment. But the main thing is, is just to get there and into enjoy. If you if you like a bet and you you're thinking about what this fixed odds thing that we're talking about, the best way to find out about it is to get in and experience it, get in and start playing it and enjoy it, and uh, start having that thrill of trying of not only just trying to find the winner, but try to find the winner at the right price as well too. So uh, that's the core of it. But um, you know, there's lots of in, there'll be lots of enticements to get people out there as well too. Love it. Well, we'll talk more about that as the time comes. Dallas, I've taken more of your time than I said. Always good to get a chance to catch up with you. Godspeed this weekend, and we'll be talking soon. Thanks, Peter, and good luck. And if anybody's out there, just come up. We'll be um, we'll be floating around in the um, the main areas where you can have bets at Monmouth. So uh, we're there to be asked questions. So if you see us around, just uh, please pull us aside, and we'll answer whatever you need on fixed odds betting. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We're going to have a little addendum at some point where we do a deep dive into Monmouth stats with Matt Vagvolgi. You can look for that in your feed in the next week or two. Obviously, Monmouth running all summer, so uh, plenty of time to get that information out there. But want to thank all the guests on today's show, especially Dallas and the, and the betmakers, Brian Skirka, uh, Kelly Breen. was great to have him on, and also the return of Double D to the uh, In the Money Airwaves, also very much appreciated. This show's been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your fixed odds photos. <laughs> 